0: Good morning and welcome to this Your Active online event, which is kindly supported by Equinor, the Norwegian energy company. My name is Frédéric Simon. I'm the energy and environment editor of Euractiv and I will be your host for today's event, which is titled Carbon Removal Strategy. Is it needed and will it make a difference? Now, today's discussion on carbon removals uh, comes uh, at a critical moment in global climate policy. In November, leaders from around the world will attend the COP26 conference in Glasgow in an attempt to move forward with commitments to halt carbon emissions and reduce them to net zero as quickly as possible. But there is another discussion taking place, which has received less attention until now, about the need to withdraw carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And there are several options to do that, which we will talk about in the coming hour. So how far have we gone in the discussion about carbon removals and what is Europe doing when it comes to its own carbon removal strategy? To discuss this topic today, I am delighted to welcome Christian Holtz-Leitner from the European Commission's uh, DG Kleber, Niels Fulsang, a Danish MEP from the Socialist Group in the European Parliament, Oliver Geddin, Senior Fellow at the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, Frank Peter from Agora Energy Vender, the German think tank, and Lisa Rebora, Senior Vice President at Equinor in charge of Emerging and Future Business. Welcome to all of you and thanks for joining us today. We'll start this virtual conference with a short series of opening statements from the speakers and then we'll turn to a Q&A debate that would also include questions from the audience. To put a question, just use the chat function on Vimeo. I think that's all for me for the introduction. So without further ado, let me give the floor straight away to Christian Holzleitner from the European Commission. Christian, the floor is yours. Christian. Sorry, Christian, we couldn't hear you. It seems the sound is not coming through. Can you maybe uh, speak a bit more, Christian? No, it seems it's not coming through. Okay, we'll give it a few more seconds maybe if we can uh, try to fix that. Turning to our technical team here to see if there's anything that we can do on our end to uh, bring this back... Christian, maybe you've muted yourself. Can you try and muting yourself? No, that doesn't seem to be working. So uh, we'll try and get the sound uh, back with uh, with you, uh, Christian, in the coming uh, minutes. And in the meantime, uh, we'll move uh, immediately then to the next speaker, and that is Neil Fulsang from the European Parliament, oh no, he's... <laughs> okay, Nils hasn't joined uh, yet. So we'll turn to Oliver Gedden, senior fellow at the German Institute for International and Security Affairs. Oliver, please.
1: Yeah, hi, Frederick. Okay. Uh, I hope this works. And um, yeah, let me start by saying or arguing why do we need uh, carbon dioxide removal. Uh, the IPCC shows that to achieve the goals of the paris agreement you need at least some level of carbon dioxide removal there are often arguments about exact numbers i think we shouldn't care about exact numbers um, but uh, there are two reasons why you need that uh, the one is that you have to counterbalance so-called residual emissions uh, emissions you cannot eliminate completely like from agriculture, some from industry, let's say from hard to abate sectors. It's unclear what that would be by 2050, uh, but it can be quite substantial if you look at modeling coming from the Commission or member states. And the second reason is that you have to make up for initial overshoot of carbon budgets. Uh, That's probably about to arise. We all know that uh, coming from the latest IPCC report, but also from the special report on 1.5 degrees, the global carbon budget of 1.5 degrees might last for another 10 years, and we're not going to be at net zero by that uh, date. So whenever we talk about achieving climate neutrality by mid-century, and that's, uh, in a way, complies with the Paris Agreement targets, then it's assuming uh, that we're going to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere afterwards. It already reflected in in European legislation, uh, in the climate law, uh, in some climate laws in member states, but only with net negative thereafter clauses. Uh, Of course, many things could go wrong in, in, in applying carbon dioxide removal, but also in treating it Politically, so I think it would be good to have a split target uh, for both uh, emissions reductions in a conventional sense uh, and removals. At some point, and maybe uh, also talking about a 2060 net negative target in a very concrete way. I mean, it's 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 really early, but I think it would signify where we are going. Uh, we need certification and and, and measurement, reporting, verification commission is working on that. We urgently need a definition uh, of permanence. And that's my last point on, uh, on uh, what actually can account for removing carbon from the atmosphere. There's a lot of confusion in the political debate. Uh, and how many years does carbon need to stay out of the atmosphere to count as being removed? And that's an issue that particularly applies to all land-based carbon removal options like afforestation or soil carbon sequestration where there's a high risk uh, that the carbon ends up again in the atmosphere uh, after years or, or decades. Thank you.
0: Thanks Oliver. So let me turn now to Christian Holtzleitner who has managed to connect uh, with a good sound. Christian, the floor is yours. Hi, good morning. It's going better now? Yes, we can hear you perfectly. Go ahead.
2: Ah, uh, thanks so much. Um, yes, and thanks so much for the invitation. Very happy to to be here. Um, yeah, I think Oliver already said we will need carbon removals in 2050. Um, if you want to reach our goals of climate neutrality so that on balance we don't emit uh, any more uh, greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, um of course in the first place we need to reduce the use of fossil fuels and uh, this is our first first policy no doubt uh, about uh, about that but there will be uh, still emissions in 2050 in the system in particular from the production of food from the production of biomass um so and we have uh, the um the removals in uh, In our soils in our forests so we need to increase the capacity uh, of those Um, and now we have a whole bunch of industrial uh, solutions carbon capture storage we need to get better the circular um, economy sustainable fuels um other products that store that store carbon and there's a big discussion coming coming up uh, on on booty construction material for example, so and we need to look at all of these solutions, and I think we are very happy to see the big interest, like um, with the Innovation Fund. We have a lot of applications that are going into direct air capture with CCS, that go in bioenergy with CCS, um, that go in those uh, substitute materials um, like woody construction material and so on. And then on the other hand, we have this big interest in carbon farming, so. How can we do agriculture and forestry in a more climate-friendly uh, way? And how can we use our natural resources to store more, more carbon uh, in there? And um, both with the Innovation Fund, um, with the Common Agricultural Policy, with the Carbon Farming Initiative, we want to foster all of these, these initiatives. So building bottom-up from what we have to better understand uh, the technologies, to better understand uh, the, the challenges related to it, like for example, how to deal uh, with permanence, the risk of natural disturbances. And uh, so really, I think the first part of our strategy is really to kick off all of these developments and to learn a lot uh, about how this, uh, how this works. And then of course, we need to think uh, about um, uh, the long-term perspective, the integration of carbon removals into our climate policies towards 2050 and there we are taking uh, the first step with our uh, legislative initiative on, on the certification of carbon removals.
0: Thanks, Christian. Uh, we'll certainly uh, come back to those questions uh, later on uh, in the discussion, but thanks for this uh, succinct uh, overview. Let me turn now to Niels Fulsang from uh, the Socialist Group in the European Parliament. Niels yes thank you can you hear me if I like we can hear you fine go ahead
3: that's great all right well um thanks for the invitation to this important debate i think um as the previous speaker uh, um, um, emphasized i agree with uh, with his point of view that um we need carbon removal i mean we have a We have a climate law now in the European Union. We adopted it before uh, the summer. And it says that we need to reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions by 55% in 2030 compared to 1990. And we also need to be climate neutral in 2050. Um, And to, I think, achieve both targets, uh, we need uh, to remove carbon uh, from the atmosphere. and uh, there's no, there's no doubt that in the long run we need to remove carbon because actually after 2050 we need to have negative emissions, and we can only have negative emissions if we if we remove carbon. Uh, but also in the shorter term, I think we um, we need to do it. Um, I remember, <clears throat> and I'm a member of the European Parliament, but I worked in the European Parliament as an assistant following the debates here and. Uh, 2010 so about 10 years ago and I remember back then the CCS technologies were looked upon as an excuse for not reducing uh, climate gases Uh, you know the ones who didn't want to do an effort to reduce climate gases they could say oh but we'll we don't need to reduce them because we can just have CCS carbon capture and storage and then we can capture the carbon and then that's all we need to do, and I think the Green Party and also the Social Democrats, where that I represent, we were very skeptical of that uh, notion of of CCS. But I think it has changed um, because I think everybody realizes now that we we cannot do it do without it. It must not be an excuse for not m- mitigating climate change, for not for not reducing the climate gases. But we need uh, also to um, to capture some of the some of the carbon, because, uh, for example, in industrial processes we have in Denmark, where I come from, and I think in many other countries we have industry that has a very hard time on the short term reducing um, carbon in the production of cement, for example. Uh, and there, I think we need technologies to um, basically capture the carbon that they emit and store it. Uh, for example, under the uh, under the seabed, uh, that's a concrete project that the Danish government is, is working on. And that requires huge investments. And uh, we need to be willing to put up those investments.
0: Thanks, Niels. Let me turn now to our next uh, speaker, and that is Frank Peter. Frank, floor is yours.
4: Thanks, Frederick. Yes, uh, I can just put more emphasis on what my um, prior uh, colleague said. Um, first of all, mitigation policies, avoiding carbon must be at the heart of uh, policymaking at this point of time still. Uh, no, doubt about, uh, no doubt about that. So we need to get down fossil emissions as uh, much as possible and also for the industrial sectors, we also have to focus on reducing um, the carbon load of uh, heavy industries, for example, to really avoid and and get down the amount of remaining emissions in the system. Um, However, um, I'm afraid we will need carbon removal technologies in the future because we will have, uh, like uh, said before, remaining emissions in the cement sector, in the limestone industry, that we need to um, get out of the system to become climate neutral in the future. And we also have emissions from, for example, the food sector, greenhouse gas emissions, that we will need to compensate for in the mid and long term perspective. And since uh, those kind of infrastructures have great lead times to be up and running, Uh, we need to start to implement a valid regulatory framework at this point of time to give investors security uh, to move on. Um, I'm also afraid that we in the end will need technical solutions for the things as well. So we need to consider direct air capture CCS, biomass CCS going forward. Because we have a han- high uncertainty as of now how our natural things will develop under um, climate change. We see lots of consequences uh, currently with our forests in, in Central Europe that are yeah, almost falling apart, I would say, and are a bit losing their strengths of uh, being a sink over a decade. So we eventually, also, for that reason, need to look into technology solutions going forward that um, in the past were considered as being very expensive and uh, not accepted by um, many parts of the of the of the citizens. So we also need um, deeply engage in in policy advertising those kind of technologies and building confidence that uh, we will limit uh, the use of these technologies to what's urgently needed. Thanks.
0: Uh, Thanks, Frank. Let me turn now to Lisa Rebora from Equinor.
5: Thanks, Frederick, And uh, first of all, uh, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to be here so i think from equinor's side in response to the question uh do we need carbon removal strategies um the answer is a yes and uh, it's a clear yes uh for many of the reasons that my uh, my co-panel have already touched on first off i'll say you know as a company with a net zero uh 2050 ambition uh, we're committed to long-term value and uh, that's the same as many other companies and many other countries across the world. But I think it's the net in net zero that's important because if we're gonna um, reduce all emissions in the timeframe needed, we're gonna need carbon removals as well. Um, And first off, of course, is to begin with some deep uh, and widespread cuts in emission but we're gonna have to scale up on on the removals. And I think to the point uh, made earlier by Christian, um, a kind of portfolio or a toolbox approach, um, one where you're developing new technologies, uh, new industrial value chains and and new businesses uh, to get there. So I think I should mention just from Equinor's perspective, perspective, uh, we follow a strict mitigation hierarchy. So first off is that we'll reduce emissions wherever possible across um, our operations and across our activities. And then it's in decarbonizing our products, um, decarbonizing through hydrogen and, and CCS, for example. And then last but not least, it's to continue to, to, Deploy capital uh, quite aggressively, actually, into renewable energies, into wind, into solar, and new low-carbon value chains. But um, as we've touched on earlier, I think this balance—the um, hard-to-abate sectors um, and the emissions they generate—they're not easy to decarbonize in in the short term, and, and we have to look at how we can offset those. Um, sustainably and and with some credible carbon reduction solutions. Um, So I think all will be needed. Um, On the nature-based solutions, I mean they are the most immediate and they have a significant impact. Um, I think uh, my team shared a really interesting um, statistic that really resonated you know if if, deforesta- if deforestation were a country it would be the third largest emitter in the world so it can have a tremendous impact in the short term um, and we need to try and halt and then reverse that deforestation and then the medium term is in the form of technologies and they're technologies that are already in play and some which need even more development, more investment and more learning. And those are um, things such as CCS uh, with bioenergy and the direct air capture uh, that's already been mentioned. So those are solutions that can in the medium to long term provide uh, negative emissions. And on CCS, um, for Equinor, we've, we've been um, sequestering carbon dioxide in underground reservoirs for 25 years uh, in our offshore Norwegian assets. And I think not only is there um, direct evidence we can do that, but it's you know, the monitoring and the follow-up and the science that we can apply to ensure that, that carbon dioxide is trapped with um, integrity for the long term. Um, and maybe I can, you know, just go back to my team in general. They're, they're out there exploring for technologies, uh, for innovation. Um, we have a ventures portfolio that we've increased our investment. And it's really to make sure that we're not picking winners at the early stage. You know, we. Keep a risk-based portfolio approach, uh, and help um, develop and grow, ideally commercially, uh, future solutions here. Um, maybe before I hand back, Frederick, just one more point is on this need for for global market mechanisms, and and for those to be transparent, uh, and that industries and 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 customers can trust, and I think that's going to be. Uh, super important going forward and, and and collaborating business and governments in, in how we develop and, and shape those. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Lisa. Uh, we can now turn to the Q&A session and I will stay with you uh, for the first one, Lisa, but it's a question I will ask also all the other panellists. Um, So like we've heard, uh, carbon removals, they're considered really as uh, the last resort option when it comes to climate uh, change mitigation. And that is also the main criticism um, of carbon removals is that um, in a way it's like accepting defeat uh, about um, uh, the, the first priority, which is to prevent carbon dioxide emissions from happening in the first place. So what is your answer uh, to this, Lisa? By talking already now about carbon removals, are we not also accepting defeat?
5: Okay, thank you. Um, I think I sh- I'll go back to this um, this mitigation hierarchy. Um, it's necessary, I think, to make sure we first remove all the emissions we can, whether it's through electrification or efficiencies, um, really focusing on how we uh, reduce emissions in in all of our activity activities, and until you've done that in, in the best way you can, then we move on to the the removal um, and and the other technologies and approaches uh, in the toolbox. So I think that hierarchy is something we have to always adopt, and you know we don't let ourselves off the hook on that front. Um, And in many ways, the the cost of um, emission reductions is far greater than than some alternatives. Uh, And then the other point I wanna make is just in terms of quality, you really have to have assurance around the quality, uh, both in terms of permanence, uh, but also in terms of uh, avoiding leakage, uh, and in many ways, you know, there's there's clear co-benefits for for removal solutions, not not only in in the direct uh, application of removing CO2, but in biodiversity, for example, with nature-based uh, and and how that can sustain communities uh, as well. So I think there's there's strong reasons to follow that hierarchy and to ensure what we do has impact and quality and, and, and generates the trust that's necessary.
0: Thanks Lisa. Uh, let me turn to Frank Peter now. Uh, your views about uh, this criticism of carbon removals, is it not like accepting defeat? And do you think, like uh, Lisa, that a, a clear hierarchy can indeed be implemented in order to prevent this?
4: Well it must be implemented this hierarchy <clears throat> otherwise we, we are going in the direction that that wouldn't fit to what uh, long-term climate neutrality needs. Long-term climate neutrality needs getting rid of a large chunk of use of primary material production going forward. We need to close um, material cycles uh, all over the place, not just the carbon cycle. So, putting putting that policy um, in focus of uh, also uh, the fit for 55 uh, proposals is what is needed at this point of time to avoid that this hierarchy is somewhat turned upside down. And um, we clearly have um, the view that the current Fit for 55 package is lacking a bit, for example, on the demand side policy perspective, where we definitely need to strengthen ideas of material efficiency, material substitution from um, the carbon intensive um, primary materials point of view. And uh, there we definitely need to put more emphasis on to avoid that this hierarchy that um, most of the the panelists here have in mind is weakened. Thank
0: you, Frank. Uh, Let me ask then now the question to Oliver Gedden. And actually you spoke about the need to have two different targets, one for uh, climate uh, abatement, uh, emissions abatement, uh, and another for carbon removals. So, do you think that uh, would actually, uh, uh, in a way, prevent this criticism um, on carbon removals that we've started hearing already uh, now, mainly coming from environmental groups? Um, what, what is your view, Oliver?
1: Yes, I think a, a split target would be a way to to make clear what role carbon dioxide removal. Really, place. Uh, I think the criticism stems from the impression that many companies just buy offsets, uh, continue business as usual, and say we're going to be at net zero. So, if you manage to say, okay, we have a split target, we need to get to a net minus 100%, but maybe it's uh, at a minimum 90% or 95% of emissions abatement and 5 to 10% of uh, carbon dioxide removal, then it would be much clearer how the hierarchy looks. Uh, Honestly, I cannot really say what the outcome of such a political debate would be. It would also be different uh, in different member states. If you look at a country like like Ireland, uh, where uh, I think one third of the emissions uh, come from agriculture, uh, they would have a hard time to get to net zero without removals, but you could also say, okay, don't they have to rethink uh, the role of agriculture in that country? It becomes much more concrete if you try to break it down, but these discussions uh, haven't happened yet in member states. I would say uh, in Sweden it started. They have a kind of a split target, uh, not exactly for for abatement and removals, but it's not about the defeat. Uh, I think, uh, to get to uh, a stabilizing temperature, we need to be at net zero. Uh, The defeat option or the defeat impression comes from the fact that in global modeling uh, for a long time, uh, while we uh, continue to emit more and more globally, it was always five minutes to midnight in a way because uh, modelers used ma- more removals uh in in the long run to to balance uh, the budget over the 21st century and i think uh, that is really uh problematic because it was uh, it looked like the easy way out without policymakers actually talking about that so i think the more concrete we talk about that Uh, the more we split it uh, into different baskets uh, the clearer it will become we need some level of carbon dioxide removal we need to have a political debate how much it would be for what exactly will we're using it what kind of removals are we using Uh, and then i think the criticism let's say might not move away but we will have a serious debate what to look at
0: Okay, you uh, spoke, Oliver, about the need for a political debate. So let me turn to the politician, uh, and that's Neil Fulsang. Um, Oliver spoke about carbon removals uh, being criticized as being a, a, an easy way out uh, uh, and the need for a political debate on how to uh, prevent this uh, from happening. So, what is your view about that?
3: Well, I think uh, there are no easy ways out of this mess that we are in now. And we only talk about carbon removal because uh, we are so close to the edge uh, of a climate catastrophe that we need to use all the tools that we have in the toolbox. Um, We should have acted uh, in a much more radical way uh, a decade ago. Um, And we're still sitting here Discussing with an oil company, by the way, uh, on how to um, how to solve this crisis, and we all know, and I think if you listen to the IPCC, that we have very few years um, to make radical reductions if we are to live up to the Paris Agreement, and realistically. Uh, we 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 cannot live up to the Paris Agreement if if the goal of the Paris Agreement is to reduce global rise in temperatures to one and a half degrees Celsius. It's it's going to be extremely difficult. And I mean, theoretically, we could. There might be a chance still, but we have wasted so much time um, that we need right now. We need. It's not a it's not a matter of easy solutions. It's about it's a matter of just using every option we have because we are running out of time, and we we um, we need to both mix, we need to both reduce reduce massively the greenhouse gas emissions, and remove carbon. I mean, if we had started if we had done something serious about this and phased out oil and coal uh, more drastically a decade ago, we might not have needed this carbon removal strategy. But that's not the situation we're in uh, because lots of politicians uh, have not been been willing to put a high enough price on carbon to make the oil industry and the coal industry uh, unprofitable and in that way phased out uh, the fossil industry my colleagues have not been willing to do that um, we have not been been willing to do that uh, i hope that will I hope that will change also in the Fit for 55 that we can get a higher higher carbon price. That's what we that's what we need, and we need to phase out gasoline cars as well. Uh, but but we are in a situation right now where we cannot afford to put any tools and toolbox away, and that's why we are we're talking about carbon carbon removal. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Niels. Uh, maybe just a quick uh, follow-up here because uh, um, uh, Oliver Gedin spoke about the need for a split target. I understand this is already um, accepted uh, in the European Parliament as part of the 2030 uh, targets that were adopted uh, under the European climate law. Uh, can you briefly explain how that works and whether there's a consensus in the European Parliament to indeed have split targets for removals on the one hand, and uh, reductions uh, on the other.
3: Well, I'm not sure that there is a, a consensus around that. Uh, I mean, we have an overall target, of course, of reducing uh, by by 55 percent uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and as far as, as I understand the debate here, uh, the majority of that will be a reduction of. Of greenhouse gas emissions i mean 52 percent at least will be a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions to live up to the 2030 target and then there's two three percent that will be uh, achieved according to the plan by uh, carbon storage carbon capture and storage um, and I, I i think it is a matter of uh, of people or politicians majority in the european parliament being realistic about that that we we need both uh, strategies we need to to walk on two two legs or two feet um and um and the whole LULUCF uh, regulation the whole LULUCF agenda uh which has been proposed by the european commission as part of the fit for 55 strategy is about um Catching carbon via more forests, via uh, uh, not uh, cultivating uh, wetlands and uh, and the soil that emits a lot of a lot of carbon. So I think um, the whole agricultural and forest strategy, as part of the of the fifty five package, is about carbon removal. And I think, to be honest, that is one of the big uh, challenges that the agricultural sector uh that i i regret to to see that the cap that we have have adopted that the european parliament has has adopted uh will not be able to solve this uh this problem or meet this challenge so i think we need some we need some negotiations on the lulu Lulu cf um legislation to um to make sure that uh, we take out some of the Wetlands from the agricultural production and use those to store carbon.
0: Thanks, Uh, Niels. Let me turn now uh, to Christian Holzleitner about uh, these uh, calls for a split target. um, What the European Commission has indeed starting uh, started doing when it comes to carbon removals from forestry. Uh, Etc. How will that uh, translate in practice when it comes to putting together a carbon removal uh, strategy uh, at the European level, Christian?
2: Yes, um, I think what we need to get better at is at the management of, uh, of of the carbon cycle. We we need to get this carbon out of the atmosphere, uh, and we need to restore a more sustainable carbon carbon cycle on. On this, uh, but um, we will always need to do this uh, because carbon is, is, is essential for our life. Eh? If we produce food, if we produce bioenergy, we will have emissions, and um, and that we need to uh, to balance with with removals, be it like in the in in the forests, um, in the soils, or be it through technological uh, solutions. And also how can we better, and uh, more efficiently use, use the carbon if we, have, uh, if we get the carbon by direct air capture, uh, we could produce proteins out of it, but we could use it for other energy carriers like, uh, like sustainable fuels for aviation and, uh, and maritime. So I think I would like to see it very much as the whole cycle of managing the carbon. And that we need to get uh, better. We need to look at this new at this new value change. Um, so, yes, uh, in the climate law, the co-legislators have given also the commission uh, a clear task uh, to ramp up the uh, uh, the removals in in the bioeconomy, in the forests, in in the soils. But also, what I would like to to add to to the to the good uh, explanation of of Niels. Uh, What is also included there is um, the products that we make out of uh, the the biomass, like long-lived wood products, like construction material. So it's not only about uh, sourcing the biomass are more climate friendly, but also using it more sustainably. So we need to uh, change the share of of the biomass uh, into a more long lasting use, like for example, in construction uh, um, material. So there's a whole uh, discussion about the cascading principle and so on, which is also a little bit of this hierarchy. And and we will see this discussion more more and more. It's about how can we we use the carbon uh, more more efficiently. And um, as I said before, what we are doing now is we want to look at all the initiatives that are out there be it on the ecosystem side be it on uh, on the industrial side um learn from them support them we still hope that we can also support them uh, quite a lot for the common agricultural policy we're working on this with our colleagues in DG, dg agriculture for example as i said before the innovation fund is our prime uh, funding instrument on the technological solutions and based on that experience we'll take it a step uh, uh, further for the legislative proposal on the on the carbon removal certification uh, which is a necessary step uh, for then a future integration of uh, of carbon removals um, into our our regulated markets and of course we must get clearer about the um, the market size for uh, for carbon for carbon removals. Um, and I think there will, will need a debate that we probably uh, need to go into quite a high quality, high permanence uh, uh, carbon, carbon removals. Uh, if we talk about more ecosystems, uh, we'll also need to look at the um, uh, co-benefits for biodiversity. But the same is true for bioenergy with CCS. There we also need to look at the sourcing of the biomass that this is done in, uh, in a very responsible, sustainable way. That's also good for the biodiversity. And then we see what we can do most sustainably um, with with that carbon uh, carbon molecule. So it's really about l- looking at the uh, at the whole, whole new value chains. As on carbon removal itself uh, is maybe a bit too uh, limiting.
0: Thanks, Christian. Let me stay with you for a quick follow-up uh, about the next uh, question I'd like um, all of you uh, to uh, answer, which is about the technologies available. So, Christian, understand what the, Europe- what the European Commission has started doing is to uh, put proposals uh, in place to remove carbon dioxide from forestry, also from uh, agriculture, with a view to 2030. Um, what about the other uh, types of solutions, the more technological solutions like CCS or Direct Air Capture? There's a new project which uh, I think is being launched uh, today, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, how is the European Commission planning ahead for these kinds of technologies as well?
2: As, as I said, what we are doing now is we are supporting them with the innovation fund uh, and as I said at the beginning we have a lot of interesting projects there we're also teaming up uh with uh with bill gates with breakthrough uh energy uh on providing there even more funding for direct uh, direct air capture or so direct air capture is something that's they are, uh, quite uh, quite a priority for, for for bill gates um we also see a big interest from uh from microsoft uh from from other companies to invest into these uh, these technologies and there, then uh, what we need to understand better is um, the certification of those. We need a certification protocol for that. Uh, That's not yet yet there, also not in the voluntary carbon markets. So um, this is uh, uh, something we will be working on with our legislative uh, uh, proposal. And I think then we want to come out with this uh, strategy by the end of of this year, on on the whole discussion on on the management of the uh, on the sustainable management of the carbon cycle, where we also want to to give different scenarios, on um, okay what should be the the market sizes for for the different um, uh, removal uh, carbon capture and use. Uh, so the whole carbon management uh, solutions.
0: Thanks, Christian. Um, let me turn to Niels Fulsang now uh, about the uh, the political answer uh, and how um, you, in the European Parliament, uh, what you think about uh, steps that need to be taken to plan ahead for the uh, for the technologies. Uh, of carbon removal. The the emphasis now is on nature-based solutions, restoring forests, etc. We know uh, it can be um, uh, very controversial already that. But um, what are the discussions taking place in the European Parliament also when it comes to planning ahead for more future technologies like direct uh, air capture, for example? Niels?
3: Well, I I think that um, we need to do two things. Um, So um, there's some things we can do right now, uh, which is not so much about technology. uh, When it comes to um, the agriculture and the forest uh, situation in Europe and in other parts of the world, where we can uh, basically take out uh, some of the land which can store carbon, which can hold carbon and we need to compensate the farmers for that if we do it, and I think we should do it. And I think we, um, all the European uh, Union countries, I know in my own country right now we are negotiating um, um, with the farmers uh, in 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 Denmark um, in order to get an agreement of how we can uh, uh, make sure that the agricultural sector contributes to uh, mitigating climate change. And I think um that part of the solution is to use some of the land which is um which is able to store carbon and hold carbon to take that out of production uh, and then um then compensate the farmers um i th- i think that could be one of the solutions um so i think we we need to plant more more uh, forest, and we need to make sure that the land which can store carbon is uh, used for storing carbon. Uh, car- uh sorry it's used for storing uh, carbon um and so i think we can do that now and we should do that now uh, so that's the first thing um the second thing is that we need to uh, invest in technologies i mean the ccs and the ccu the carbon capture and utility uh, and the ccs carbon capture and storage those are technologies that um exist but they are expensive air capture is extremely expensive um, we will need them and we will need them cheaper and that requires that we invest in in research um, i think the european union needs to do that uh, i think we need to do that via the horizon program uh, i also think that the countries the states in in the european union need to do that um, mm-hmm. Uh, because um, we have a lot, lot of industry that has a difficult time uh, meeting uh, the reduction requirements, and they need to do everything they can. But I think part of the solution for them could be to store some of the uh, some of the carbon. But that requires that the technology is there and that it's affordable, and for that we need we need investments in technology uh, and innovation. So i think the states and the european union should really should really do that and then the last thing um i would also mention is that we need to um, we need to store this carbon somewhere so we need to have plans for where can we where can we store the carbon um, i know in my own country denmark we have a lot of sea around our country and um, so it's a good idea for us to use the um uh, this to store the carbon under the seabeds to use those reservoirs under the seabed um to store carbon but that will obviously vary or depend on on the country's situation and where we can find some areas to store carbon but i think that the that the uh, member states and perhaps the european union should be involved in in uh, trying to organize this drawing on the map and this planning for how can we, where can we store the carbon? Because uh, we need to plan that uh, right now. Thanks.
0: Thank Niels. Uh, Let me turn to Elisa Rebora. I think you've raised your hand uh, actually about this need to plan also, uh, not just for uh, immediate carbon removal technologies in the form of forestry and agriculture, uh, but also for CCS. Uh, and and potentially direct um, air capture as well. Lisa, how do you think um, planning uh, should uh, go along at the European level maybe, but also uh, at the global level?
5: Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to build on some of the comments made because I think um, what Niels is underlining is um, the timeline um, and and in fact a lot of these technologies are, are long-term investments. Uh, if you think about solar um, in the last 10 to 15 years the costs for solar have come down you know 90 percent or more so those kind of timelines and the repeat Deployment, the learning, the 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 efforts to make it as efficient as possible takes time. Uh, but we have to we have to try, uh, and we have to um, invest. And I think to the comments around CCS, um, there are kind of um, very interested parties out there. Um, we see on our Northern Lights um, CCSU development um, which will come on stream in, in a couple of years time. Uh, you know some of the parties you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, um, tech parties, for example, Microsoft and so on, uh, customers who want to be participate in those schemes. And then there's utilisation of carbon, whether it's through cements or or um, eco fuels as well. Uh, and lastly, I think next to those CCS um, to to test uh, direct air capture, which I think Neil said, you know, today is very expensive, and could take you know 10, 15 years or more to get to a place where it's uh, an attractive and and very scalable uh, solution. So we're working with the venture company there, Carbon Clean, um, to to look at implementing DAX uh, alongside our Northern Lights um, installation. So it, the point was, it's it, this can be long-term investment, and I think that's why uh, addressing the removal side of the equation is just as important as um, as as reducing the emissions uh, in parallel. Thank you. Thanks
0: Lisa. Um, let me stay with you for a follow-up question and that is uh, actually coming from uh, the audience. Uh, so this is Yannick uh, Vac from uh, Zero Waste uh, Europe. Uh, his question is how to ensure that CCS focuses only on the sectors that are truly unavoidable, where emissions are truly unavoidable, so that it doesn't undermine other objectives, uh, such as the circular economy, for example. Lisa, do you have any thoughts uh, about this?
5: Uh, Yes, I mean, uh, it speaks volumes. that There's so many diverse customers uh, with net zero ambitions that want to participate. And uh, I, I do think that's a good thing, you know, The urgency of the situation demands that uh, we all work together across industry uh, and across government and and public sectors to to address this challenge. Um, But as I said earlier, I do think that for those hard to abate sectors, um, you know, we shouldn't be left off the hook. We should uh, address the emission challenge first and foremost. Um, and invest in technologies, continue to invest in technologies that that can get us there. So um, I guess that's my initial thoughts to that that very good question.
0: Thanks Lisa, Uh, let me put that question now to Frank Peter. Uh, How can we ensure in terms of designing policies that carbon removal strategies do not undermine Other um, uh, policy areas like the circular economy, Frank,
4: Thank you. Uh, first of all, I do not like uh, the phrase of hard to abate sectors, especially in regard to industry anymore, because we have the technical solutions and the strategies to avoid emissions here. And there, there's really, from a technical point of view, nothing hard to abate. It's rather from a regulatory and a policy point of view where we have now the challenges to to cope and to deal with. And, um, to me, when when it comes to to a negative emission market, um, Oliver spoke about eventually creating different targets for those uh, two different things. And I would also assume that eventually we should have different markets uh, going forward with that. So we definitely need a highly controlled market for negative emissions going forward um, that holds the strongest sustainability criteria going forward that makes sure that um, those kind of risks uh, if the carbon does not stay where it is supposed to um, are covered. And we clearly have, and I clearly have the idea that here we need a very strong um, engagement also from, from policy, from governments in that segment to secure and also bear the financial risk of um, these um, this market. And uh, here I would c- clearly see uh, uh, a strong idea raising that eventually we should not mix the market for uh, mitigation policy with, uh, with the market of uh, removal policies. And, and here um, I clearly could see that separating those two things could help us to, to build something like a firewall also between uh, the, 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 those two very different policy areas.
0: Thanks, Frank, uh, for uh, bringing uh, those ideas. So let me turn uh, uh, again uh, now to Christian Holzleitner, uh, following what we uh, heard. So you alluded to this, uh, Christian. Um, uh, the European Commission is thinking of uh, putting together um, some sort of scheme to uh, measure and certify uh, carbon removals. Uh, Can you explain uh, what the European Commission has in store for that? Uh, How would that work? Uh, And also how would that fit with the uh, United Nations uh, framework?
2: Yes, Um, what we see now is um, like a lot of activities on on the voluntary uh, carbon markets and also a lot of of different uh, standards. was a lot of con- confusion like are we really talking about uh true carbon removals are we talking about uh, avoided emissions uh, we talked before uh, uh deforestation avoiding deforestation is, is something else then really taking taking in carbon from the from the atmosphere so i think on the one hand uh it will be good to clarify this um this debate and um i think what we what we want to say is like towards 2050 we need these high quality uh, carbon carbon removals. Huh? we discussed before already about permanence and another big issue is the additionality so compared to which benchmark how do you do this so there are a lot of very interesting um technical technical discussions that we want to to tackle first before we go into okay how can these credits then, in the end, be used in, um, in regulated um, uh, trading trading systems that, that we have in Europe? Um, so Frank all, all already referred to okay of, of having different trading systems for removals, for for mitigation. So there are a lot of ideas around there, and I don't want to preclude uh, any anyone um, any one of those. So um, we need to get better at uh, at at understanding what is really uh one ton uh of uh of removal how permanent is it how additional is it so we need to bring much more clarity into into this uh, this debate uh, also about the differences between what we discussed already now a little bit uh, about the use of uh of carbon and then finally uh the storage uh, because we will have a whole value chain a new value chain of of capturing carbon, using carbon, and eventually storing uh, storing carbon, and we need to to manage that whole uh, that whole chain um, chain well. And then this also relates to the previous question on okay, whether to use a uh, uh, waste with CCS or not. You will have all these discussions on 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 this cascading principle that you already have now for for biomass. Um, you will get uh, across all all value chains um, in the circular economy where, where carbon is involved.
0: Thanks, Christian. And uh, just to clarify, um, the, um, uh, the legislative initiative that is going to come out of the European Commission at some point uh, to certify and measure those carbon removals, will that be part of the uh, December carbon cycle management uh, proposal that you spoke about or will it be later, will it be under this commission?
2: Um, so what we want to do is we want to first put out a, a strategy, maybe a little bit of a, of, of a green paper, where we want to, to tackle all these, these questions um, that we also discussed, uh, discussed today, and there are, there are many more. And then a next step uh, would be the, uh, the legislative proposal on the carbon removal certification, which in itself will be much more uh, technical and uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that it will be still under this, uh, this commission. It's in, in the Circular Economy Action Plan.
0: Okay, thanks, Christian, for clarifying. Uh, Nils Fulsang, very quickly, your thoughts about certification of, of carbon removals. How do you think uh, the, uh, the European Parliament will approach this? What are your views about certification of carbon removals?
3: Well, I think it's extremely important uh, that we have a, a system where we can certify what is uh, carbon removal, how permanent, um, how permanent is it? Um, and also, when we talk about uh, uh, carbon capture and utilization, uh, I mean, if you capture carbon, you use it uh, in another process to make a Power-to-X product, fuel for uh, ships or, or planes, or do you store it somewhere? And what are, what are the consequences regarding the, the total emission in the end? So I think there are lots of, of um, questions coming up here, especially um, with the hydrogen hydrogen strategy and the hydrogen question. Hydrogen will be more important in the coming years as a way to store energy and as as a way to create fuels for uh, ships and and um, and airplanes and in industrial processes and that uh, ca- that the hydrogen needs to be in, in some of these products needs to be mixed with carbon with with co2 that perhaps has, has been captured in other processes um, so we need a system for figuring out if you capture and store uh, carbon: uh, How much do you? Uh, how much ends up being captured, and how much is permanent, and how much is used then in another product that will potentially emit uh, carbon in another process? Uh, so I'm just happy that that the, the Commission is uh, is coming up with um, some uh, well thoughts, and hopefully also a proposal for rules on on this.
0: Thank you, Niels. Uh, let me turn to Oliver uh, Gedder now. Um, I'm curious to hear your views about uh, how policymakers should approach uh, uh, this crucial uh, technical uh, debate, probably, um, about certification of, of carbon removals. What do you think should be the principles that policymakers should follow when adopting such a policy?
1: Well, I think in the first place, it really is a highly technical issue and it's quite a complicated issue, like 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 Niels just showed. Uh, where does the carbon stay? What are the life cycle emissions uh, of these processes? Where does the carbon come from? We really need to distinguish and I think policymakers need to learn to distinguish, I think, especially in member states, between carbon dioxide removal conventional CCS, CCS combined with removals, CCU on fossil fuels, but CCU with fuels coming uh, from ambient air or bio uh, or biomass. And I think there are potentially, let's say, 15 to 20 technologies that could remove carbon from the atmosphere. And a company that wants to implement a certain technology needs to know what it can what it can get out of it. So we need some kind of accounting scheme and it's gonna be um, horribly complicated and maybe it is a good way not to try to start with twenty at once but but build up a system uh, that uh, that can evolve. And I think the policy makers right now are a little bit in a bind. Uh, it's easy to sell. Uh, ecosystem based uh, cdr methods like like forestry soil carbon sequestration and and others it's also i think a good way and i think that's the commission's strategy here to create new revenue streams uh for the agricultural sector and and use it to green the agricultural sector but as other speakers uh, have said before uh, we need to ramp up the technological solutions as well because usually uh, they create a more permanent removals uh, and, and that needs time and we need the signals there and that needs to start. There are many uh, applications like enhanced mineral weathering where it will be horribly complicated uh, to create an accounting system because the storage will be durable but it's, it's it's not easy to follow the carbon and to monitor it. You also need to create some kind of liability scheme uh, what happens if something goes wrong and, and the carbon uh, gets back into the atmosphere i mean if you're talking about permanence or something close to permanence uh, then the question is who's responsible for a carbon stored a process that might be re-released in 50 years or so but i think that the issue of permanence is really something that policymakers need to look at uh, I'm also an IPCC lead author, and the Working Group 1 report that has just been released in uh, in August has a nice table where it sorts all carbon dioxide removal options uh, via the time scale of storage. And I really think we all like to talk about co-benefits, but I think, and some of these uh, technologies have co-benefits, but I think we should always focus on the main benefit we expect here, that's removing carbon dioxide durably. So I think the permanence issue uh, should take center stage here.
0: Thanks, Oliver. Uh, Let me turn to Frank-Peter for some very quick thoughts because we're slowly getting closer to the end of this conference about uh, how uh, to regulate, certify uh, carbon removals. What are your views on that?
4: Well, we need a clear scheme um how to deal with it uh, that's the that's the big um yeah the big question the taxonomy and we we need it uh, not only for um the carbon removal technologies we need it about the whole carbon cycle um we need to track carbon through different value chains also of industrial material flows and uh, this is what needs to be built quite quickly because uh Of course, we want to build also green lead markets where carbon content of products plays a a, a significant role and we need to establish uh, this uh, accounting and tracking system of carbon emissions in products over different value chains, maybe many use cycles, hopefully many use cycles in the future. And, and this definitely is at the center stage of what is needed in the first place to get a hand on this uh, sustainability uh, criteria for, for carbon removal technologies in the future.
0: Frank, Lisa Rebora, some uh, quick thoughts maybe on how to uh, regulate carbon removals and certify and measure them?
5: Yeah, no, I think certification is is really important to ensure Um, transparency and and high quality. And we'll need that to facilitate a global trade uh, of carbon um, and and balance that net zero um, across borders uh, around the world. So, um, you know, I think actually going back to technology, it's not only important in developing the solutions themselves, but it's also very powerful in how we account for and how we measure uh, and how we follow uh, the life cycle of a carbon um, a carbon credit or a, a volume of carbon uh, from end to end so um yeah that trust certification is going to promote much more investment going forward uh, so i welcome that.
0: Thank you. So uh, we're getting um, closer, as I said, uh, to the end of this conference. So I will turn to each one of you uh, to maybe summarise in a few words uh, what you think should be uh, the main takeaway, your main message uh, when it comes to carbon removals uh, and European policy in this regard. Uh, and so uh, let me go back then first to Christian holtz Oh, Christian, sorry, Um, we we cannot hear you. Um, That was
2: not my fault. That was not my fault. Okay, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Sorry Sorry about this. I was saying I'm very happy about the debate uh, because we enlarged to this whole new value chain of uh, capturing, um, using, recycling, and finally storing uh, carbon. And uh, maybe to finish, off. Maybe I also want to to bring in this aspect of the transport because we also need to transport the the, um, the CO2 because we will have in Europe as it looks different facilities that capture CO2 that will use it and finally we have the the storage sites for example in in the North Sea and what we also we need to get a competitive market on all of this also to have the trust uh, of uh, of more capture facilities coming in more storage sites uh, coming in and uh, and really creating a good new market around that and uh, another thing that we are working on is also like on the transport uh, infrastructure for the CO 2 think about pipeline but also think about uh, uh, ships and um, this is also something that uh, that we are working working on so really having a view on this whole new new value chain of uh, of carbon management
0: Thanks, Christian, uh, also for bringing up this transport issue, which indeed hasn't been uh, uh, addressed in in much detail. Niels Fulsang, um, your concluding thoughts uh, from today's event.
3: Okay, thank you. I think it has been established in this debate, everybody seems to agree that we need um, carbon removal strategies. Uh, From my point of view, the, the most important things are that we need to do what we can Now, when it comes to the agriculture and the forests, uh, we need to have policies that make sure that we use our forests um, to capture uh, as much carbon as we can. So that's number one, we can do that right now. Number two is that we need to invest aggressively in carbon removal technologies when it comes to our industry um, so we can uh, take out the CO2 as much as possible and, and store it. Um, and number three, my last point would be, um, I think um, the certification uh, issue that we just discussed is is incredibly important. We need to make sure that there's no greenwashing um, involved in in this um, in these carbon removal policies. That companies cannot just claim that they do carbon removal if if they don't really do it, or if they do it in a way that when you look at the life cycle of the of the carbon uh, it's not very sustainable anyway so i think uh, citizens and companies and the public needs to have confidence in what's going on and and we can do that by a certification system that requires some bureaucracy hopefully we can keep that down as much as as possible but uh, but i think we need to to have a a certification system which which works and which provides uh, credibility to, to the whole system. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Niels. Uh, Oliver in uh, your uh, concluding thoughts on this topic of carbon removals.
1: Well, I, I can agree with everything Christian and Niels just said, and just want to add one aspect that really it is high time that member states and member state governments make up their minds about that because they have been largely absent from the debate. The the European Commission, thankfully, is is the policy entrepreneur here and I think member states need to get an idea what they want to get out of carbon dioxide removal and what they want to avoid, what they need from a European level, what they can do themselves uh, to get this ahead. I think the same applies to the European Parliament but I think it's really crucial that not only Sweden and Denmark and uh, can formulate clear demands. I think others need uh, need to get on board as well, and that of course applies uh, to Germany uh, first and foremost, and hopefully after the uh, elections upcoming in three weeks, we will get a better idea of what we want. Uh, Germany, now there have started big research programs and funding lines on CDR, so there is some movement but it's still early days and we need to get uh, get better and faster on this
0: thanks uh, frank peter some quick uh, concluding remarks from your, uh,
4: from your end yeah oliver somewhat stole my point so um It is um, my saying, we need political commitment to it, uh, to the technologies, to the strategies. And we need uh, especially, uh, I also know the general background quite well, we need um, yeah, political also acceptance that carbon dioxide removal will play a role. And member states and parties need to get their hats around this, what is needed, and also openly advertise and make clear that these kind of technologies and strategies will be required in the future to achieve climate neutrality. To avoid that we fail on the public acceptance of most of the strategies and technologies. Thank you
0: and uh, now Lisa Ribora for the concluding thoughts. Lisa.
5: Yeah, thank you. So I think uh, we're all very aligned on the fact we need to address this um, urgently and and really deploy a whole range of solutions, um, whether that's nature-based or technology, um, on top of doing our very most to to reduce emissions. But I think for investors, we really do need uh, global market uh, mechanisms that are holistic and transparent, and uh, that framework is so important, I think, for for business and, and policy makers, and uh, we we really welcome uh, working together on that and uh, operating within the policy. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, there's much more to do going forward, but um, uh, I think a very collaborative effort um, can, can get us there.
0: Right, thank you, Lisa. I think this uh, wraps up today's event. A big thanks to Equinor for supporting it. Thank you as well to our panellists uh, for your time and to our viewers for following us. If you missed the beginning of this debate, uh, it will become available in a few minutes uh, on YouTube. And if you would like to know more about upcoming events at EurActive, please visit our website, events.youractive.com, for more. Until then, take care, stay safe, and see you next time.